Welcome back to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. My film review's a day late because I wanted to catch a screening of Attack on Titan to include in this week's film roundup. But let's first start with the week's most hyped film, The Martian. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go. Now you can either accept that, or you can get to work. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates, and to NASA, and to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. Summer may have ended last month, but The Martian provides the perfect film to transition out of the summer season of big, noisy popcorn tentpole movies and into the Oscar bait season when studios release what they think will be their serious contenders for awards gold. The Martian is definitely being packaged as awards material, but it still has a little of that summer irreverence and a sense of fun, so it doesn't feel too weighty and somber. It's a film with epic interplanetary scope, some A-list stars, yet it still manages an oddly breezy style that makes it easy to watch. The film's based on Andy Weir's 2011 debut novel of the same name. Weir attended UCSD and studied computer science, and is claimed to have a lifelong love of science. His novel's written as log entries, and the first line of the book is, I'm pretty much fucked. Of course, that's not where the film starts. The film has to start big as a storm hits the surface of Mars, forcing a NASA team to abandon its mission and leaving astronaut Mark Watney for dead. But he's not dead. He's just, well, pretty much fucked. Right. Let's do the math. Our service mission here was supposed to last 31 souls. For redundancy, they sent 68 souls worth of food. That's for six people. So for just me, that's going to last 300 souls, which I figure I can stretch to 400 if I ration. So I got to figure out a way to grow three years worth of food here on a planet where nothing grows. Luckily, I'm a botanist. The Martian is a film fueled by a passion for science and a confidence that every problem has a solution. The great thing about the film and its undeniable appeal lies in an optimism rooted in the joy of science. And what's exciting about its enthusiasm is that it could inspire a new generation of scientists. But the film serves up an odd mix of science and Hollywood, I'm not a scientist, but I've read that many scientists do appreciate that the science in the film is done well. The Hollywood part comes in how the science is glossed up and sped up. Science tends to take a long time, and so does anything you do in space. But the film, knowing our fast food appetite, quickens the pace of everything. I'll give director Ridley Scott and screenwriter Drew Goddard credit for at least having characters mention the fact that messages to and from Mars are by no means instant. But once that fact is established, the editing clearly makes it seem as fast as texting. So while I have an issue with the sped-up pace of the narrative, I understand that it's a necessary thing in order to make the film more entertaining and to fit in as much as they did from the novel. The other oddity about the film is that all the excitement is focused on bringing Watney home, of getting him off of the planet Mars. There was a time when sci-fi movies were more interested in getting to another planet or to the moon. Now being on another planet seems rather blasé and requires rescuing. 
The reason I point this out is there was an interesting piece on Motherboard by Lisa Masari, an assistant professor of science, technology, and society in the Department of Engineering and Society at the University of Virginia. She writes about the irony of the Martian opening just after NASA announced evidence of intermittent flowing water on Mars. The irony being that while the media was wildly excited about the science fiction of the Martian, it was decidedly indifferent to science facts. She poses these questions. What are we to make of the collective disappointment regarding actual Mars science and the collective excitement for cinematic Mars fiction? Moreover, how should we understand NASA's drive to excite us about the journey to Mars while the Martian focuses on the journey home? She raises valid points. They don't detract from the entertainment on the screen, but they are points worth considering. And my final point about The Martian is that while the science is great fun, the film's too slick and cheery to capture the reality of being alone on an inhospitable planet. This is a case where a big budget and a big cast of stars actually hurts. Less would be more in a story about one man's solitary struggle to survive. I wish director Ridley Scott, who's been to space before for Alien and Prometheus, had taken his cue from the small indie sci-fi films Moon and Europa Report rather than from the Hollywood endeavors Gravity and Interstellar. Or he could have gone even further back in time to a film like Silent Running, in which Botany also played a role. The Martian misses getting a gritty sense of how lonely and isolated Watney must feel, and how challenging survival over many months is. Matt Damon plays Watney, and the film waits till the third act to show any negative side effects from eating little more than potatoes and being malnourished. Okay, I know I've spent a lot of time complaining about the flaws in the film, and I think that's partially because it does so many things right and comes close to being more than a glossy Hollywood genre film. So my point is, it could have been better, but it's still an engaging work of science fiction and science fact. Now for a quick look at some less mainstream offerings around town. Attack on Titan Part 1 is a live-action adaptation of the highly popular anime of the same name. Fans have been eagerly but cautiously awaiting the live-action features, and reaction has been mixed. At the screening at Reading Cinema's Town Square, dozens of fans stayed after the credits to argue about whether the adaptation worked or not. Some complained about missing or changed characters, others about plot alterations that they feared would cause problems down the road. I'm in the middle of watching season one of the anime, and I feel like the less you've seen of the anime, the more you may be able to enjoy the live-action films. The effects in the movie range from impressive to annoyingly bad CGI. And the story places more of the melodrama in the foreground, which is the complaint I have about The Walking Dead. The story serves up a world where humans are on the verge of extinction because of titans roaming the planet and devouring up tasty human morsels. The film may lack some of the imagery of the atom bomb that's often found in Japanese sci-fi, but the level of devastation is on par with what the Japanese people witnessed when the U.S. dropped bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There's enough of interest in the live-action Attack on Titan to make it enjoyable on the big screen, but I urge anyone to also check out the anime. Part 1 screens one more time on October 7th, and Part 2 screens later this month at Reading Cinema's Town Square and Ultra Star Hazard. October also brings a lot of Hitchcock, Of course, the victim, or should I say victims, hadn't any conception as to the type of people they would be confronted with in this house, especially the woman. She was the weirdest and the most... Well, well, let's go into her bedroom. October also brings a lot of Hitchcock. Reading Cinemas brings back a showcase that it's dubbed Hitchcocktober. So look for Hitchcock films each week, beginning with Shadow of a Doubt on October 4th. 
Hitchcock also makes an appearance this weekend at Cinema Under the Stars with Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman in Notorious. You can also find the sequel to the indie horror film Contracted, screening late night Friday and Saturday at the Digital Gym Cinema. Also note that the Throwback Thursday Horror Showcase at the Digital Gym Cinema that was to have started this week has been pushed to later this month. The Edgar G. Ulmer 1934 classic The Black Cat will kick off the fall series on October 22nd. Halloween month also brings the second annual Silent Screams at the Whaley House, a series of rarely seen but terrifyingly good silent movies that screen on Wednesdays at the Whaley House Theater. Ghosts may or may not be present. On October 7, you can see the 1926 Waxworks from German filmmaker Paul Lenny. Also of note is TCM's Friday Horror Programming and its month-long tribute to trailblazing women. And finally, The Big Lebowski is the midnight movie at the Ken Cinema this Saturday, and the Hong Kong film Saving Mr. Wu opens today at the AMC La Jolla. That's it for this edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Today kicks off my month-long series of interviews about different aspects of horror, so look for an archive interview with Clive Barker, as well as episodes on Reanimator the Musical, The Psychology of the Duke, and finding out what some of the first films that scared people are. So till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.